Welcome to another recording of our podcast series with the Secretary of Child and Youth Protection, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. With me today is Casey Bustamante with the Archdiocese of Military Services. Welcome, Casey. Thank you so much for having me here, Bernie. Wonderful. Um, I'm hoping perhaps we could begin with prayer. Would, Absolutely. Would you mind? Yes, I would not mind at all. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we take a moment just to recognize your presence here with us. I ask that the Holy Spirit be with us in guiding this conversation, that um, you may just uh, stir in our hearts um, any reflections and information that you call us to share as we reflect on sexual abuse, not only in the church, but in the military, how it affects your people, that this conversation may lead us to healing and resolution in combating this type of behavior. We ask for the intercession of our mother as she uh, just continually protects us and um, prays for us and intercedes for us. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good that you're here, Casey. Thank you for having um, me. For those of uh, folks listening, and would you just mind giving a little background of your, you know, of yourself? Sure. How you all. got to this position? Absolutely. And yeah, I'd love to. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me here on your uh, webinar series, your podcast series. Um, I am Casey Bustamante. I am the Associate Director for Young Adult Ministry for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. And as the Associate Director, I uh, help facilitate young adult ministry at the local level. And uh, we could probably go into it a little bit more after this on who the Archdiocese of the Military Services is. Um, but particularly in my job, what I do is help facilitate young adult ministry for young adults ages 18 to 39 years old. Mm -hmm. And we have a target age range of 18 to 30. And uh, the Archdiocese directly supports active duty, uh, government civilians uh, that are stationed abroad, living abroad, as well as other Americans that are living abroad and working, and uh, the veteran uh, administration hospitals around the country. That's a pretty big task. Now you yourself, you're, you're currently military, correct? I am, yes. Um, in my job, uh, this is a uh, church-specific uh, job. The Archdiocese does not directly work for the U.S. government. We don't get any support, direct support from them. We actually rely on donations. Mm -hmm. But um, in, my, in a part-time job, I serve in the Air Force Reserves and I've now been serving in the Air Force for 10 years. Uh, previously, I served active duty for six years and then joined the reserves after that. Oh. And I serve in the U.S. Air Force as a cyber operations officer. Wonderful. Thank you for your service. Thank and, you. Uh, for those of you listening, again, the Archdiocese of Military Services um, is part, again, of that network worldwide. So yes. your footprint is international. Yes, it is. Uh, we are... We have two uh, distinctions probably from other traditional dioceses here in the U.S. Um, one is that we're global archdiocese. Uh, wherever there's a U.S. military installation, uh, that is our area that we serve. Uh, so Archbishop Brolio 
and the four auxiliary bishops. They serve uh, uh, all of you know U.S. military and their families. We estimate that there are 1.8 million Catholics in the U.S. military, including active duty and their families, as well as, as I mentioned, government civilians. And um, the other neat thing is that as a diocese, we are a personal diocese, which means that we're not bounded by a geographic space. Um, it actually means that by definition of your uh, status of military, uh, whether that's active duty, activating uh, as a guard or reservist, and being a family member of an active duty uh, person, that you actually belong to the Archdiocese and uh, we have a responsibility to serve you. Wonderful, wonderful. So in terms of the Archdiocese military services then, Everything regarding the charter, the mandates mm. of the charter, articles 12 and 13 with safe environment training and background checks that are required for folks who have access to minors or vulnerable individuals, those are all being abided by by the Archdiocese, correct? That is correct, yes. Um, you know, anytime a volunteer uh, works with young, with the youth um, at a military installation, we do have a requirement that they go through uh, that certification and they can, excuse me, they can either do that. We have actually, um, through Virtus, they help facilitate for our, uh, for our faithful to be able to go through the Child and Youth Protection certification and they can also um, go through the local diocese that might serve them. But also, um, you know, there's, in addition to that, Anybody who works with minors on a military um, installation also has to go through a background check mm -hmm. through uh, their local uh, their local military installation. Okay. Now, how many clergy, how many chaplains, Roman Catholic priests are in the Archdiocese of Military Services? Yeah. So um, uh, there are about a hundred and uh, or excuse me, there's about two hundred uh, priests, but that's um, those who are serving in uniform as U.S. military chaplains. But we also have government civilians, uh, priests who are serving as government civilians, which means they're a little bit more permanent at that U.S. military installation. And then we also have contracted priests, which means they, uh, year by year, are providing sacraments to a local military installation. And another important thing to think about, too, is uh, we have about, we have over 215, 220 military installations that these priests serve. Um, but it's not necessarily that it's a one-for-one one deal, um, you know, depending on, excuse me, depending on what kind of missions the chaplains serve is dependent on where they're located. So they could be on a ship out at sea, um, or they could be in a training environment. Um, you know, if a unit is getting ready to deploy, you see a lot of them, um, they're, they're divided up like that versus mm -hmm. by location, geographic location. So they're, they're sent where they're needed. Now they're these, these priests, these chaplains come from all over, I mean they come from all, all over the dioceses from all over the U.S., yes. correct? Yes, um, so th that's another unique factor to the Archdiocese of Military Services is that we do not have any of our own priests. They are all on loan to the Archdiocese by the generosity of several of the bishops um, Archbishop Berlio has made a plea several times, um, as you may have heard, you know, at the fall and uh, spring meetings that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops have. And um, so, yes, we all priests are on loan. And so, really, uh, you know, each priest has an obligation to the U.S. military to serve at least three 
years of active duty service, and then it really is between the bishop, um, either the bishop, or we also have priests who are from religious orders that serve in the U.S. military, so it's between the bishop or the provincial of that order um, to decide, you know, after those three years, um, you know, determining what the need is and should they continue their U.S. military service or not. Um, so yes, uh, we also have several priests who will go into reserve or guard status, um, and so they serve in that capacity as well. But uh, we really are at the mercy of um, other dioceses and religious orders. How has this crisis of the, the child abuse crises um, affected service members, Catholics, that you run into, young people? What are, their, what are your thoughts? What have you seen? Yeah, um, so, you know, as that was going on, um, you know, there definitely were priests that we saw all across the U.S. Um, who have been um, committing these, you know, really heinous crimes and uh, that, you know, we saw like some uh, reserve chaplains who had also shown up, their names had shown up in some of these reports. Um, I think one distinction that would be important to make is, um, you know, I know when we talk about the child abuse crisis in the church, um, that it's not just minors, but also people who are in vulnerable, uh, vulnerable states, statuses. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, the distinction would be that the statistics and the big concern that the U.S. military is seeing with assault and harassment is primarily th with adults. Um, so that's one big distinction, but I think that we do see a lot of similarities in how the church and people in general are just starting to change their vocabulary with understanding what this what sexual abuse is and um, how we do have a system. The church has a, a system, an institution, a hierarchy that is similar a lot in, in, to the military in that there's uh, very much you know a clear chain of command, a clear chain of authority, and uh, some of the same issues that the church is seeing uh, the U.S. military has seen in a reporting abuse, mm -hmm. um, and so that has been a really big um, uh, initiative of the U.S. military is to really try to encourage people to report, considering it is a system that historically, you know, we've seen some retribution to people, victims who have tried to come forward, and I think we've kind of seen something similar with victims in the church. So we're looking at institutions in a way the military and the church having similar reactions in some ways uh, in terms of how the institutions reacted. But as you indicated, we're slowly seeing a shift in culture, a, sh a change take place. What would you attribute this shift in culture, at least with the military? I'm sure it parallels what is changing for the church as well. Sure. Um, so, <clears throat> I, you know, just making sure that I'm sharing that, you know, I'm sharing this with my, my own personal experience. And I think what I've seen from my friends, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I've been in now for 10 years. And even before that, um, I was at the Air Force Academy. And so this actually touches me a little bit more personally than um, perhaps, you know, some others. Uh, I uh, went into the Air Force Academy for school in 2004, graduated in 2008. And so I was right after um, the huge uh, abuse kind of had been revealed that had been happening among cadets, upper-class cadets, 
taking advantage of fourth class cadets, which is you know equivalent to freshmen at a normal a university or college, and um, just the ability to report and to not be um, uh, like victim blamed, to not um, you know a lot of the situations for where uh, assault and harassment happen in the U.S. military. There's often, you know, there's sometimes other factors in that where people are scared to come forward. And that was definitely the case, um, you know, when I was at the Air Force Academy and they tried to implement different changes with, um, you know, in the military, hazing, uh, you know, can sometimes be a part of the culture. It's not always the most proud part of the culture, but um, seeing stuff like that, um, but also creating a space where people feel um, respected and that, um, you know, I wouldn't say that it's tenets of the military, but it is more the culture where you see um, just some acceptance of, um, like I said, hazing, but also uh, certain types of language, um, you know, that really uh, promotes more of a, um, I don't know, uh, a toxic environment. Yeah. Hostile know. environment. Thank you, like a yeah. hostile environment where someone, um, in the case of the military, you know, it's, it's not only women who are victims of sexual assault and harassment in the military, but, you know, you just think of women who don't feel like they can come forward with these kinds of things. Um, you know, talk about bystanders mm -hmm. often uh, being able to uh, you know, correct behavior that's mm -hmm. happening um, before it gets to a point of assault. But um, I think as we see historically more women coming into leadership um, and just culture changing in the U.S. military of what's acceptable behavior, um, I think that, that it's, a, it's a positive change that we've seen. So I know and I understand that the ongoing training takes place in the military, a program called SHARP, yes. uh, dealing with uh, sexual harassment, assault, and yeah. uh, prevention. Uh, the idea, too, of having, for example, protocols in place if someone sees um, uh, someone being affected by this, uh, who to report to that chain of command that's in place, and then documentation as well. Absolutely. Um, what we've talked about in the church is that safe environment training has helped equip folks with tools that allows them to act if they do see something that is mm. taking place that shouldn't be taking place. And we have a saying in the military that you'll fight the way you train. And so I know in, in a number of situations, all branches, this training takes place on a regular basis. It does, yes. Um, absolutely, each uh, branch of service has their own program, but yes, it generally is sexual assault uh, prevention program. And uh, uh, so that really uh, spells out how one can report um, a, an assault or anything you know that happens like that, a har harassment. There are two different avenues in which people can uh, report something, you know, whether they're the victim or somebody else's. And um, one is restrictive and one is unrestrictive. Mm -hmm. And so one allows for somebody to report to actually receive uh, any sort of victim's assistance to be able to get the medical attention that they need, um, any other mental health um, needs. You know, obviously there's a lot of healing that's needed from that, but that doesn't, doesn't necessarily always um, address the uh, 
criminal aspect of it. So, um, you know, there are two avenues right now, and one is that they can get the attention that they need to um, hopefully, you know, move forward and heal from that, uh, from um, whatever that experience was, but also if they do decide to uh, report it, then there's a whole other process Correct. that they have to follow. So in some ways, like, that was something that the U.S. military had tried to institute to allow for the victims to not um, receive any retribution themselves. Correct. Again, a, a reality uh, in society in general, I think a lot of reasons why folks don't report in the first place, they're, they're afraid of the retaliation. Yes. The, the, the retaliation. Uh, additionally, too, we're talking about um, uh, chain of command, mm. you're talking about a hierarchy, you're talking about respect that comes with that hierarchy and rank. Mm -hmm. uh, you're also looking at, in terms of uh, additional similarities between the church and the, the military, the church has canon law as well as civil law. Military has UCMJ, this Uniform Code of Military Justice, as well as the uh, civil authority, civil law as well. So we do see these similarities that run parallel in many ways, That's the military true. and the church. Um, let me ask in terms of the change in culture, um, what do you think has been the most effective uh, tool or program the military has used that perhaps the church can learn from in terms of uh, awareness and um, yeah. growth towards uh, health and holiness? and yeah. Um, I think uh, a good place to start would be kind of like what you mentioned with the chain of command. Um, one big part of the U.S. military culture is addressing problems at the local level. And you probably know that too from your own experience. And that's a huge um, thing that's very important because, you know, the ability to be a leader, to be a good follower, you need to be able to solve problems yourself. <clears throat> and so in some cases, um, it is important to try to address harassment or assault at the local level. And I think we've seen that too with the church. You know, the church has tried to address if a minor, you know, in, historically, you might be able to share how that might have changed in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. But historically, you know, trying to address that at the local level um, and either, you know, I mean, it could be as simple as, uh, you know, a, a young service member trying to talk to their supervisor about something that's happened and the same parallel of a child trying to report to their parent or to maybe somebody that talk, you know, works in the local parish and they're kind of met with, um, you, know, uh, you know, you're not doing the, you know, you're lying or what did you do to bring this on? Um, you know, that kind of victim blaming that happens. Um, and I think what we've seen is when a supervisor in the military, when a supervisor or their chain of command does not address um, harassment or assault that is being reported uh, appropriately, that they, uh, the victim also has the ability to go to in, uh, something that's called the Inspector General. And the IG, Inspector General, is a whole system that is outside one military member's chain of command where they can report any sort of abuses, this is even beyond um, the realm of sexual assault and harassment, but any kind of abuses that are happening within the chain, um, they are allowed to report through that. Confidentiality is very important. Uh, the reality of uh, being able to report to someone and to have that sense of being believed mm. and being heard. Right. 
Again, these are, these are things that folks have to be trained at and understand mm -hmm. their sensitivities that are in place, competencies that have to be in place. That's right. Uh, because in many times you have this one opportunity to be able to listen to what a survivor victim has to share, and if it's not done well, it could possibly cause more harm, more damage. Right. Um, so I'm sure the military, I know, provides these types of trainings with counselors that are available yeah. for folks yeah. to be able to report. We call them, uh, we also have something, victims advocates. Correct. And they, yeah, they serve that role that you're describing specifically is they are trained to walk with someone who's processing what's happened so that, you know, they don't get into a place where they hide it versus really being able to walk through what, what do I, what am I asking for out of this? Correct. Yeah. So we're really wanting to bring this to the light. Yes. We want to open the doors, open the windows, yeah. bring this to the light. Now you, you said you work with uh, our uh, youth and young adult mm -hmm. uh, for the Archdiocese of Military Services. Uh, the Archdiocese of Military Services also has a victim assistance coordinator and yes. uh, safe environment coordinator. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll invite them at a later time to perhaps yes. interview them and talk about their experience working as the VAC SEC for the Archdiocese of Military Services, you guys also get audited by yes. Stonebridge. Okay. So again, the same process that takes place for dioceses mm. around the country, the Archdiocese of Military Services also carries out as well. What do you think in terms of uh, uh, moving forward? Uh, what do young people have to offer, you know, not only for the life of the church, but also for the military? Uh, again, the military currently is a volunteer force. Mm -hmm. Um, comprised mostly of young adults um, from all walks of life, from all around the country, even around the globe. Um, what, what do you think they have to offer in terms of changing this culture, not only for the military, but also for the church, uh, for the betterment uh, of the church, for the betterment of the military? In the end, hopefully becoming a, an even more wholesome, uh, holier, healthier institution. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um Probably <clears throat> two things. Uh, one is, I think we've mentioned the word culture a lot. Um, we're still, the military is still kind of reacting, right? Um, a lot of the statistics that you see, and, and I do want to note this, that um, I saw a report from 2018 on kind of the state of sexual assault and harassment in the military, and the U.S. military did see a increase in the amount of reported sexual assaults. Um, it increased about 10% in the fiscal year 2017. And that sounds kind of odd, right? Like, oh, more, more sexual assault is being reported. But this is actually a healthy indicator in the sense of we've made progress in people actually reporting um, abuses that have happened to them. Uh, the program really focuses on uh, responding to sexual assault victims, um, and there is a prevention, but I think what the military has seen is there needs to be also an initiative that moves beyond just preventing sexual assault, but also promoting um, general just dignity and respect. And I think that that's something that young people uh, really do bring to the church and to the military. Yeah, we've talked about theology of the body mm. in terms of that, uh, the theology, the, 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 the catechesis that sure. one understands that we've been beautifully, wonderfully made in the image and likeness mm. of God, that every individual 
is, is to be afforded the dignity, the honor, the respect that you talked about because, because of their personhood, of, of the humanity that they have, the, and the fact that we are from the Creator. Mm. And, and so this brings much joy to me to be able to hear this coming from young people because there's, as it is, I know for, for us who've been in the uniform, for those who support uh, individuals who've been in the, there is a pride to wearing the uniform. Yes, that's right. There's a pride to being able to, to serve and to, uh, if needed, uh, the sacrifice that's given, uh, even, even, even unto death, if needed, if called. And so we do have that ingrained in us, and to be able to have and hear our young people coming into the military in many ways insisting that that, uh, that be practiced, Absolutely. That, that be part of the milieu. That brings much joy to me to be able to hear that. I think the church, too, if we continue on the trajectory that we are in terms of uh, demanding mm -hmm. that, that, that that respect and dignity be afforded to everyone, that if, if dioceses are indeed being called safe environments mm. and what that means to be a safe environment, if dioceses are indeed carrying out all their protocol procedures that they say they will do in terms of background checks for anyone who has access to young people or vulnerable individuals, ongoing training, outreach to victims, um, for ongoing formation for clergy, um, so that way everyone is trained. I think in the end, the church could stand uh, and hold their head up high. There's mm -hmm. a pride in that because what we are now carrying out is the mission that, that, God, that Jesus has asked us to carry out from the very beginning. You know, feed my sheep take care of the little ones, if you could be like the little ones, that sort of thing. And so we bring, that, uh, we bring that mission to light, we take that to heart, and we carry it out to the best of our ability. Uh, Casey, I want to thank you, first of all, for being here. Absolutely. I want to thank you for the service and, and um, the commitment you that you have. Too, well, Bernie. no, thank yeah. you. Um, uh, God bless you. God bless all the young people that you work with. Uh, may God continue to bless your, your endeavors, your travels, your journeys. Thank you. Uh, you've been called to a very important task. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, you are where you are because that's where you're meant to be. Yeah. God has a plan. I, I ask for special prayer just from you and then for those who are listening too, um, especially for our young people who are all over the world, um, whether they're in deployed environments or just away from family. There are many who do not have opportunity for the sacraments because of our shortage of priests. And so I really ask that you pray for them, that mm. they may receive that spiritual communion, um, that they're not allowed to, they're just really not able to receive. So I, I think, I really do thank you for thinking of them. And that's kind of a particular prayer that I do ask for too. As, we, as we say in the military, we'll go. Yes, thank we'll, you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll comply. So again, my thanks to you for being here. And as we do, if, if you wouldn't mind praying this prayer of of healing for victims of abuse, if we could, if we could pray this, I'll pray this in English. If you don't mind praying this in Spanish, sure. So for our, our our audiences out there who are listening to this, also, so this is our prayer for healing um, victims of abuse. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, Comforter of hearts, heal your people's wounds and transform brokenness into wholeness. Grant us the courage and wisdom humility and grace, to act with justice. Breathe wisdom into our prayers and labors. Grant that all harmed by abuse may find peace in justice. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Espíritu Santo, Consolador de Corazones, cura las heridas de tus hijos e hijas y devuelve la integridad a lo que ha sido quebrantado. 
concédenos el valor y la sabiduría, la humildad y la gracia para actuar con justicia. Sopla tu sabiduría, sabiduría en nuestras oraciones y empeños, que todos los que han sido heridos por el abuso encuentren paz y justicia. Te lo pedimos por Cristo nuestro Señor. Amén. Amén. En el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. Amén. Vaya con Dios. God bless you. Thank sí, you igual. for everything. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bernie.